0: It's a joy to be with you, and Stuart, thank you for sticking with me over the last two or three years and uh, allowing me to come. I really appreciate the privilege of being here, and uh, I love to be around preachers. We were eating breakfast this morning, and there were a bunch of preachers around us, and I could tell it because of those deep, beautiful voices, all right? And uh, so I I said, y'all must be preachers. They said, we sure are, and uh, so I I hope they're here. I'm preaching, amen. Amen. just thought I'd throw that in. I hope that uh, you'll enjoy being in Daniel. I I love the book of Daniel and uh, I was in Oxford, England this summer and I studied a course on Daniel and it is the perfect perfect song or the perfect uh, uh, book for us to be preaching out of right now because how many of you know that we're in a culture collision? Anybody know that out there? these four Hebrew boys found themselves in a foreign culture and it absolutely was a collision, and yet they stood for the Lord. And that's what I want to talk to you today about. You know, I believe one of the most effective ways to begin any soul-winning encounter is to share your testimony. How many of you share your testimony on a regular basis? Anybody out there? I want to tell you, that's one of the most powerful things in the world. Tell them what your life was like before you met Jesus. Tell them how you realized that you came to realize that you needed Jesus, tell them how and when you met Jesus in salvation, and then tell them what your life is like since you met Jesus. Kind of like the blind man. Once I was blind, but now I can what? See. See, See you, you know a testimony right there. You, you'll never forget that blind man's testimony in John chapter 9. Before I came to Jesus, I had a little purpose in life. Before I met him. I didn't really know what my life was supposed to be about, but somebody shared with me that he died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead to give me eternal life and that uh, Jesus would give me that eternal life and he gave me eternal life when I repented and believed in him and received him as my Lord and Savior. Now my life has meaning and purpose. Anything like that and you'd be shocked at how many people will listen to you. I was on an airplane coming over here yesterday and I shared with a young girl and she was on her way to Midland, Texas. And I shared with her going across Arkansas. You know, there's good news above Arkansas. Amen? And so I I was uh, sharing with her and just had a great time. Well, today I want to talk to you about a testimony from Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, I believe, is in heaven. I believe he got saved, if you will. I believe he came to the Lord. And I believe this chapter is his testimony. He was so selfishly proud of his kingdom in Babylon He was the most powerful king in the most powerful nation in the world in the 6th century B.C. And God strongly warned him that if he didn't humble himself, God said, I'm going to cut you down. Have you ever heard that uh, song by Johnny Cash, Sooner or Later God Will Cut You Down? He wrote that after he had read Daniel chapter 4. Sooner or later, God is going to cut you down. Nebuchadnezzar remained proud. And God humbled him by striking him with insanity. He was crazy. He thought he was an animal. For seven years, he lived outdoors in the field. He ate grass like a cow every morning. He was soaked with the morning dew. In the summertime uh, there, and, and you know that Babylon, that's uh, Iraq, and, uh, and Iran over in that area. And it's 110, 115 degrees every day. So in the summertime, he burned up. In the wintertime, it gets below freezing there. He was freezing He was out in the fields and his hair became long and matted and filthy like the feathers of an eagle. His fingernails and his toenails became sharp and long like the talons of a bird. And he went totally crazy until he looked up. He looked up to God. And I want to tell you, when you look up to God and you're looking in repentance and faith, God's looking down with grace. When when repentance and faith get together with grace, good things happen. And uh, this man looked up, and he came out with a testimony, and he said in verse 25, The Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. He also learned what we read about in verse 37, that all the works of the King of heaven are true and his ways are just, and he is able to humble those. He is able to humble those. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. You know, sometimes preachers can deal with pride. Sometimes deacons can deal with pride. Sometimes Christians can deal with pride. We, we like ourselves. We want to be somebody. We want to really count, and we want sometimes too much. Uh, I, I want to say this to you. If your business has been successful, when's the last time you got your employees together? If your church has been successful, when's the last time you got your staff together? And you just got on your face before God and said, Lord, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be anything. We wouldn't have any success. Do you voice your accomplishments publicly? Do you put them on social media to let everybody know, hey, we're baptizing a lot of people. Hey, we're growing at our church. Nothing wrong with bragging on God. But sometimes that can really ease over into bragging on yourself. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Let's stay little enough. For God to use us. Let me talk to you today about the power of a personal testimony. Uh, three points. My wife says if I saw a car wreck, I'd see three things about it. That's okay. All right. Number one, God's warning confronts our pride. God's warning confronts our pride. Aren't you glad that God at least, when you're pr- proud proud and prideful, don't, aren't you glad that he warned you? He confronts your pride. Look at verse 1. Now, this is by far the longest point. It's 27 verses, and we're going to walk through every bit of it. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in all the earth, may your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders. We thought that was just in the book of Acts, but it's in the Old Testament, too. The signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs. How mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. Guys, this is from a man that had been changed by Almighty God. You can tell even in the preface here, in the opening statement, he's saying God has done something awesome in my life. He's talking about the greatness of God. He is the Most High God. How great ...are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. He had experienced God's, miracle, God's miracles. He had had dreams and God had interpreted them for them through Daniel. He had seen Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of a, a fiery furnace... ...and seen the fourth man that was the Lord Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ... ...the angel of the Lord in that fire with them. He had seen some great things. And he says the Lord's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom... His dominion is from generation to generation. I'm just a little earthly king, but I know somebody that's going to be ruling long after I'm gone. And then in verse 4, he said, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease. Underline that in your Bible. I was at ease in my house. I was flourishing in my palace. Herschel Hobbes used to say, if poverty has slain its thousands, prosperity has slain its tens of thousands. He was at ease. He was flourishing. He was prospering. He was Wealthy, he was rich, he was so wealthy, anybody you know is nothing financially compared to this guy. And the Bible says in Amos 6 verse 1, woe to those who are at ease in Zion. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. God doesn't want us to be at ease. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew Twenty-six, forty-one. keep watching Keep praying that you may not enter Into temptation the spirit is willing But the flesh is weak we've got to watch We've got to pray We've got to watch and we've got to pray so that we don't Enter into sin we've got to watch and we've got to pray Anticipating the coming of our Lord we cannot be complacent We cannot be at ease we cannot become Fat cats like Nebuchadnezzar And be at ease we we can't be Vulnerable to the devil we can't be at risk With our own pride or God Will cut us down Verse five. He said, "I saw a dream. It made me fearful, and these fantasies, as I lay on my bed, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream." Then the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, the diviners. Came in, and I related the dream to them, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. I just want to say this to you. If you preach through Daniel, these guys were as useless as you get. These are a bunch of losers. If they were on your staff, you would fire them, I'm telling you. These guys never get it right. I have no idea why he kept them. They weren't good for anything, and yet he keeps consulting them. You know, after a while. You know if, if, you know, if somebody makes a mistake once a while, you get it. But if they never, ever, I mean, if they're batting zero, let's go, let's go make a trade, all right? Let's, uh, let's get a better deal. Verse 8, but finally Daniel came in before me. His name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. And he's talking, he's not there saying that he's, he was worshiping the God, uh, that the old pagan God. He was just saying, this is my God, his name, I, I named him after that God. And in whom is a spirit of the holy gods? That's the Holy Spirit. I related the dream to him saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dream which I have seen along with this interpretation. Now, these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. I was looking. Behold, there was a tree. This is a very common image in the Bible. There was a tree. In the midst of the earth, its height was great, the tree grew large, it became strong, its height reached to the sky, it was visible to the end of the whole earth, its foliage was beautiful, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beast of the field found shade under it, the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches, all living creatures fed themselves from it. I was looking in the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended From heaven, this angelic watcher, this angel that was watching him. God is saying, I'm watching everything you do, King. I'm watching you closely, to whom much is given, much is required. I want to say this to you. We are accountable to God. We are, God is watching. He is watching everywhere we go, everything we do. It doesn't matter where you are. God is watching. He's got his angelic watcher there. He shouted out, spoke as follows Chop. Down the tree, cut off its branches, strip off its foliage, scatter its fruit. you hear those verbs? Chop, cut, strip, scatter. God is going to deal severely with Nebuchadnezzar's pride. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Not only would it affect him, but it would affect his citizens. Yet leave the stump, there's the grace of God, with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Notice all of a sudden he starts stops talking about it, the tree, and he uses his personal pronoun. He talks about him. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. He, the tree represents Nebuchadnezzar, verse 15. And let him share with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods, that's seven years of time, pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers. And the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind. How many of you are glad of that today? Anybody? The Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. He's rebuking Nebuchadnezzar. He said, look. I even put the lowliest of men in charge at times. So don't think just because you're in this position, Nebuchadnezzar, you're some big shot. Sometimes I use small things, small people, in great ways. This is the dream which I, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now, you, Belteshazzar, tell me its interpretation in as as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for a spirit of the holy gods is in you. Now, God gave Nebuchadnezzar the terrifying dream, and God gave Daniel the terrifying meaning and warning. Look at verse nineteen. Then Daniel, whose name was is Belteshazzar, was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him. The king responded and said, Belteshazzar, don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar replied, Lo, O my Lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. Notice here, Daniel's response is respectful. He actually liked Nebuchadnezzar. He knew the dream was speaking against Nebuchadnezzar, and yet he wished that it was not it was not aimed at him. I want to say this to you. Nowadays we think it's safe game. It's okay to take shots at people who are in high office. I want to say that even if you disagree with somebody, if you're a Christian, you don't have the luxury to talk negatively about somebody else. You hear what I'm saying? You quit talking bad. You quit trashing people on the Internet. You quit trashing people on social media. God help us. And if you don't, God says, I'm going to cut you down. I'm going to cut you down. We need to be kind We can disagree with somebody's position without being mean toward them. Did you know that? I don't care who they are. We've got to love them, especially in this day where we're talking about presidents and everything else. Look at verse 20. The tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached to the sky and was visible, To all the earth, and whose foliage was beautiful, its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the sky lodged. It is you, O King. For you have become great, you have grown strong, your majesty has become great, it has reached to the sky and your dominion to the end of the earth. Biblical scholars have noted how similar these words are to the prophet Nathan when he rebuked David and said, Thou art the man. He told him that parable about a man who only won one little lamb, and this rich king that had all this all this livestock came and stole this little lamb away. And David said, Oh, that man ought to be killed. He said, You're the man. You're the man. That's exactly what Daniel was saying here. You're the man, King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 23, in that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one, descending from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree, cut it down and destroy it. Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him share with the beast of the field until seven periods, seven years of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. This is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you... Be driven away from mankind. Your dwelling place be the beast of the field. You be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass over you. You're going to be isolated from all people. You're going to live with the animals out in the field. You're going to eat and act like an animal yourself. You're going to lose your mind, be exposed to the elements of nature, and it's going to last for seven years until you repent of your pride. He says, until you recognize that the Most High is ruler Over the realm of mankind and he bestows it on whomever he wishes. If Nebuchadnezzar, if you don't repent of your pride, God's going to humble you and show you who was really in charge. Nebuchadnezzar was ruling instead of God, instead of under God. And Daniel foretold Nebuchadnezzar that he would, he also told him that he would soon after that eventually repent after seven years And when he did, God would restore him. Look at verse 26. Here's a a hope, a, a thread of hope here, verse 26. And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. This is the only time in the Old Testament that heaven is used as a synonym for God. Then in a gripping plea, Daniel begs Nebuchadnezzar to repent and humble himself. He says in verse 27, therefore, O king, My advice, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness. Now is the time to repent. You don't have much time right now. King, deal with your sin. Break away from your sins. Start doing righteousness. By by the way, that's repentance. When you stop doing the wrong thing and you start doing the right thing. That's repentance. And break away from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Talks cheap. Talks cheap. Take care of your servants, not just yourself, O King. Humble yourself. Repent of your sins. Help other people. Do this, O King, in case that there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. In other words, who knows? God might be gracious to you. I wonder if I'm talking to somebody right now that's dealing with pride. They say, we're preachers. What are you talking about? That's what I'm talking about. I wonder if I'm talking to somebody that's dealing with some pride. Maybe you've been successful academically. Maybe you were successful as an athlete. You know, I used to be an athlete, and the older I get, the better I was. (laughs) Maybe you have been blessed vocationally or financially. Maybe you've received some recognition. Maybe you're a tree that's grown taller than others. And now... You're walking in pride. I want to warn you. God can cut you down. He can chop you down. You can't walk in pride and walk with Jesus and please Him. God's warning us today. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 12, Whoever exalts, I love the whoever's, by the way, in the Bible. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. Whoever humbles himself. Shall be exalted, Matthew 23, 12. James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You'd better humble yourself before God has to do it for you. You don't want God opposing you, humbling you. God loves you too much to let you walk in pride. He's warning you this morning, just like he warned King Nebuchadnezzar. He's telling all of us, repent of our arrogance, our egotism, our pride. God's warning confronts our pride. Number two, this this will be a lot quicker. God's discipline corrects our pride. God's warning confronts our pride, but God's discipline corrects our pride. Look at verse 28. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar, the king. I just want to say this to you when when something when God said something's going to happen, it's going to happen. Verse twenty-nine. Twelve months later, is God a good God? God gave him a year to repent. Is God a good God? He gave him a 12 months to change his mind. And sometimes God gives us time to repent. And we mistake His patience with His acceptance or His tolerance of our sin. Don't you dare. Don't you dare misunderstand God's patience. And see it as synonymous with His winking at your sin. With His tolerance of your sin. He's just being gracious giving you time to repent. Don't you think that he approves of your sin? Because if you cross his line and only God knows where that line is, he's going to chop chop you down. Twelve months later, he's walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. He's reflecting, the king reflected and said, is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? Oh, he's just waxing eloquent about how great he is and God interrupts while the word was in the king's mouth. Did you know that it's not a, it's not polite to interrupt unless you're God? <laughs> While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you. You will be driven away from mankind. Your dwelling place will be the beast of the field. You'll be given grass to eat like cattle. Seven periods of time, seven years, will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler." Over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes immediately. The word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He immediately lost his mind. He immediately went insane. And he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. God chopped him down. The mightiest man on earth. If God can do it to Nebuchadnezzar, God can do it to us strongest one of the strongest warnings in the Bible against pride is found in a little bitty book called Obadiah. I want to encourage you to read every book of the Bible because if you don't, some little Jewish man's going to come up to you in heaven and say, How'd you like my book? <laughs> What's your name? Obadiah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Obadiah one four. There's only one, so four. Though you build high like the eagle, God says, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar had built a high nest like an eagle in Babylon. He held on to his pride, but God knocked him out of the nest, made his hair look like eagle's feathers, his nail looked like bird's claws, because he had built a high eagle's nest. God disciplines the and corrects our pride. How many of you, let's just be, I'm going to raise both of my hands. How many of you have ever been spanked by God, anybody? You know, back when I was growing up, there was no such thing as time out. There was lights out. (laughs) And uh, if you did something wrong, the belt came out of Edgar's pants and he didn't pull it off to intimidate you. He pulled it off to whack you. (laughs) I want to tell you something. God lovingly, yet consistently disciplines His children. And it hurts. But He corrects our pride. If you're flirting with sin, I don't know how else to say it, sir. Stop. Stop. Or God's going to cut you down. God's warnings confront our pride. God's discipline corrects our pride. But praise His name, God's glory conquers our pride. Look at verse... 34, for seven years, Nebuchadnezzar lived out under the discipline of God, out in the field, ate grass, other wild foliage like a cow, hot in the summer, cold in the winter, all alone, tortured mind, insane. But after seven years, listen to this, verse 34, but at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. Hallelujah. That's enough to make a Baptist shout. It reminds me of that verse that Charles Spurgeon heard one cold, snowy morning in England. He was a young boy trying to learn, a teenager learn, trying to learn how to be saved. and he Went to a primitive Methodist church. It was so cold the preacher didn't make it. And a lay preacher was up there preaching, trying to do his best. And all he could say was... He reread and over and over Isaiah forty five twenty two. Look to me, God says, and be saved. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Spurgeon said, even though he'd been trying to earn his salvation. There were about fifteen people there. He said he looked straight at me and said, "Young man, Spurgeon on the back row." Look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look and live. Virgin said, I saw at once the way to salvation. I know not what else he said. I didn't take much notice of it. I was so possessed with that one thought. I'd been waiting to do 50 things, but then I heard that word. Look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked." Until I could almost have looked my eyes away. There and then the cloud was gone. The darkness rolled away. The mo- that moment I saw the sun and I could have risen, I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of anyone of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which looks alone to Jesus. Nebuchadnezzar like Spurgeon looked to God in repentance and faith and he was saved and the king looked to God when he looked to God in faith as quickly as his sanity had left him it returned he says but at the end of that period I at Nebuchadnezzar raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And he starts praising God. And I blessed the Most High. I praised and honored Him and who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generations. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But He does according to His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off His hand and say to Him, What have you done? At that time my reason returned to me. And my majesty and splendor were restored to me. He got his sanity back. He got his throne back. For the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty and the surpassing greatness was added to me. He got his life back. But now it's all blessed with humility. And then he says in verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are true and his ways are just. And God, he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Don't tell me this man's not in heaven. I wonder if I'm talking to somebody walking in pride right now. I have a dear friend, Don Witt. He's an evangelist. Preaches 50 revivals a year. Anywhere. If you want a good evangelist, Don Witt's your man. Don told me about preaching... At a meeting recently at a crusade in one of the Carolinas, he said he was out there and the hurricane was coming. The aftermath of the hurricane, so they had to go indoors and they had been having 1,500 people and they had to go in a church that didn't seat close to that, about maybe 800, and they were just all piled up. And so at the end of the invitation, he was preaching a sermon called "When Jesus Passes By." He went to each section and says, "Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Give your heart to Christ and be saved. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by." Give your heart to Jesus tonight and be saved. He went to all the sections and then he went up to the the choir loft because people, it was so crowded, they were sitting up there. He goes up there and he says, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Give your heart to Christ tonight. He said there was this young teenage girl right on the front row sitting by, obviously her mother and a man. And later found out it was daddy. The, The man's head was bowed in prayer and. That little girl had a hard look. She was a teenager and she was looking at my friend Don and just kind of staring him down. He looked her right in the eyes. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And then he said, he said, I felt so strongly led of God to say this. And this may be the last time he passes by. This happened three weeks ago. Gave the invitation. The little girl rejected. Nothing. That was on a Thursday night. Don flew home. On Friday, when the plane touched down in Memphis for him to drive back to where he lives, just outside of Milan, Tennessee, he got a phone call from the preacher. He said, you got a minute? He said, yeah. He said, you know what happened last night, that little girl? He said, yeah. He said, that was her daddy praying for her. Her two siblings got saved this week during the revival, and the daddy was praying. He was weeping and praying that she would be saved too. She rejected Christ and that night The next morning she got ready to go to school Got in her car, got in her truck literally She drove a truck And on the way to school Lost control, wrapped it around a tree And she was killed A lot of times we think about God just cutting down Older people You know what? None of us Knows how much longer we have And I've been a preacher a long time And I can tell you, there's been times when I was really walking with the Lord. Sometimes I wasn't as close to the Lord as I should have been. And I love you. I'm not here to beat you up. But I will just tell you this. If you're walking in any kind of pride or any kind of sin, I just want to encourage you. Repent. Do it now. Do it now. Don't make God cut you down. Let's share our testimonies, guys. Let's go out and tell people about Jesus. Because God will humble those who walk in pride. I don't want anybody to go to hell, do you? I don't want anybody to go to hell. So let's go tell them. And let's warn them that if they don't, they're going to face God. And he's going to cut them down. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that we will be humble, that we will be holy, that we will be hungry for you. Thank you for Nebuchadnezzar. Thank you for Daniel being so nice to him that he'd listen to him. And thank you, Lord God, that even though that man went crazy, I want to thank you, Lord, that there is hope for anybody. If there is hope for a man out in the field acting like an animal, eating like an animal. For seven years, there's hope for us. God, help us to walk humbly with our God and with our fellow man. In Jesus' name I pray, and if that's your prayer, say amen. 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 Thank you for letting me be with you today. Lord bless you.